to me, it was like, okay, so my challenge this semester is to get that student interested in what we're doing. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm joined by my friends, Martin, Tanya, and Paul. And on today's episode, Martin doesn't actually know the topic yet. I haven't told him. Wait, I'm the only one who doesn't You're know? the only one who doesn't know. <laughs> so before we get there, I want to ask you, Paul, what have you been reading recently? Well, I finished Pinocchio, okay. which I mentioned I've been reading before, which is, uh, which I mean, having finished it, I, th- I thought it was phenomenal. It's great. Um, every boy should read Pinocchio. And probably girls too, but not my favorite. That um, long nose disturbs me. You know, I was actually <laughs> curious about that because I didn't know how much of the story of Pinocchio I knew had been Disneyfied mm-hmm. and how much was actually in the book. And then long nose is in the book. Yeah. Uh, in when I was in Rome, um, if you went into a toy store, Pinocchio just dominated. There were just mm. lots of wooden Pinocchio toys, and that's all interesting. That. Yeah, it's very so the Italians embrace Pinocchio. The, yes, the Italians. Well, it's very a, much it's an Pinocchio. Italian work, mm-hmm. right? Right, sure. Giuseppe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so that I guess that's like their children's story. Like when you go to Boston, make way for ducklings is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think some some of these things, <clears throat> like uh, you know, because kids I think aren't reading anymore. The, you know, I you go certain places. And I'm trying to think, like maybe Hannibal. Is one of the, you know we're just Mark Twain. There's a whole Mark Twain right. themed thing going on in Hannibal, but I I I always wonder since kids aren't reading anymore, uh, how long is this going to last? You know, because uh, that th- those things are going to go down the memory hole. So they're but, not though because we are doing our part mm, to bring it well, back. I'm yeah, don't be a that's what we're trying. To, don't okay. be a Debbie Downer. Uh, yeah, a Debbie but, Downer. but also I would say Martin that what what would probably end up happening is people making the art, telling the stories, mm-hmm. are going to realize people don't know these stories even though they're they've been around for a- ages, and they'll just keep retelling those stories because well you know, I hope so. New when you're I mean, Hamlet. and I, I I agree that's what we're doing, uh, saving Western civilization right. one student at a time. No, <laughs> never forget that. Um, but I, you know, it, it, the reason we're doing it is partly because it needs to be done, and it's unfortunate that's right. that it is. absolutely. Mm-hmm. If we didn't need to do it, none of us would have jobs. Tanya, um, <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask you: Are you familiar with the concept of a hot take? A what? A hot take? No. You just gave one. Um, but a, a hot take <laughs> is when you have an opinion that's kind of surprising that, that other people don't have, but it maybe isn't always well reasoned, but it's just, you know, you just shout it out there. I, or, or not well, what not was well that? thought through. So, um, what was that opinion? Well, just that we would all lose our jobs. Uh, oh. but, um, <laughs> I just have these visions of us homeless wandering around with absolutely nothing to do. I, I actually <laughs> thought that your hot take was about Sabatini. And that's what I was interested in getting oh, to. Oh, right. Do you have a hot take about Sabatini? Uh, well, so I've just come back from a rather long trip to Oxford, mm-hmm. and I took Sabatini with me. So I've had Captain Blood overseas, <laughs> on the over the ocean. Um, yes, I know you all loved Captain Blood. I thought the first half of it was rather boring. Um, I did. I thought the second half kind of redeemed it. It got more interesting to me as it as it got more complicated. But I spent most of my trip in Oxford thinking, 
I just really don't get it. I want to hear some outrage, Paul. Yeah, the the injustice that happens in the very first chapter just didn't get your blood boiling. You don't feel for him that he well, yes, he was a I, doctor who wanted to just help somebody who had been shot. I totally get that. And I thought that was all good. But then beyond that, after he becomes a pirate and it's just thing after thing and Oh, you did oh, so it, it wasn't all, it wasn't the the when he's a early on when he's a slave, mm-hmm. it's it's like you felt like whole, it's like the middle the middle third was the boring problem to you. with that book for her is that it didn't uh, it didn't begin with gathering all the potential suspects in the parlor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have loved other that's exciting. You got you, right? I loved yeah, right. Scaramouche, yeah. which is the only other Sabatini I've read. I loved the Scarlet Pimpernel. I do which like is not Sabatini. But it's not it's Sabat- same, Sabatini, same but other, it is a yeah, swashbuckling. Yeah. I do love the swashbuckling genre. And I just thought this book was rather weak in the first, not, you're right, the very beginning was good. But then after that, I thought it really could stand in editing and maybe be cut short by 100 pages. Mm-hmm. But then toward the end, I I thought it got much better. I feel like it all, the end, though, brings it all together. It in does. The, in the same it way does. that, like, you can't cut out middle parts of the Count of Monte Cristo because it, the, the beauty of that, one of the beautiful things about that book is at the very end, it all comes back together. You realize every word in that book led to something that you didn't see coming. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't put I'm gonna look Cap- back. Captain Blood at the same level. I but. would not either at all. <laughs> but as the as Count of Monte, Count Cristo, Monte Cristo. But, but the fact of what he does in <laughs> Captain Blood in the part that Tanya is complaining about does actually impact the story. It does impact the story. I just think it could have impacted it in a shorter. So now I'm reading a book that someone loaned to me mm. that I need to read and get back to them. Um, and it is contemporary. I don't read a lot of contemporary lit. And it's um, called Horse by Geraldine Brooks. Brook? I can't Brooks, remember. Yeah. And um, it's about a horse in 1850 in Lexington that was supposedly a really fat. It's based on a true story. And I think this person thought I would enjoy it because I live here. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a local. <laughs> it is. Story. It's a local story. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I'm not that far in yet. I, but it, it's, it's, it seems to be well written. Is it nonfiction or fiction? It's fictionalized based on, a, okay. on a real horse. Okay. So I don't know how much of it is. Is real and how much is That's fake. right. Yeah. Well, I have to give a report from my vacation reading. Oh, did I you get you a, all, you were going to have like a couple of days just to oh, read. I was. Oh, and uh, then uh, on the drive up, I got the stomach flu. Oh, you didn't. And I stumbled out of the vehicle. Oh, because your family had had it. Yeah. My wife had had it, and but for some reason it like lay dormant for a week and snuck out and got me. <laughs> oh no! On the first day of vacation, um, so we still went up there, but then I gave it to my mother in law who was watching Jack, so we had to cut her vacation <gasps> short. So that was a bummer. Um, oh my goodness! And we goodness. lost a day of, of reading, basically. Um, but I still finished actually two two of the three books in the course of the vacation, um, and so I, I read uh, Lee Fanger's Virgil Wonder, which was really really good. Um, he, he's, I, I think I resonate with him because he's a Midwestern author. He kind of lives in North Minnesota. Um, and this story takes place in a small city close to Duluth. And he has this way of kind of telling real to life stories that have kind of a supernatural edge to them. And so this one is about 
just a guy who runs a, a theater in a tiny little town that's dying. But there are these interesting characters that come into his life. Um, and it's really, he's an author who writes about characters. Plot is kind of secondary. Um, but the characters are really fascinating and funny and enjoyable. That sounds great. I enjoyed it a lot. I was going to say, if there's not much plot, book. Tanya won't like it. But anyway, keep going. It sounds good. Yeah, a, lot no, I like really, it. a lot of people really like that. I, I tried to read it. But there was some scene where somebody walks off the tailgate of a truck and keeps walking in the air. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure this seems rather random. Oh, maybe was that, it? Maybe that's his other novel. It's, I think that's what his other it's, novel. He does, other novel. Th- yeah, there's like a twinge of the supernatural that kind of oh. hides at the edges. But I, I think it's actually not fantastical. Mm. It's actually a little bit more like... James Lee Burke does that. Mysterious. But differently. Oh. You think? I, I do. This this just seemed that that particular scene rather scene seemed rather random to me, but mm. I, I didn't get but maybe I, I didn't continue, so yeah. I, I can't say. I also read Jonathan Pennington, <clears throat> Dr. Jonathan Pennington's book newest book, Come and See, which is just his kind of thirty years or forty years of experience reading the Bible and just kind of offering <laughs> some helpful guidance in how to enjoy this great work of literature and it's a fresh take, but also in very simple, accessible language. And I, I thought it was really good. Um, and then I finished the Iliad um, finally as well. Um, so I'm well, you did on, pretty yeah, well. So I did pretty well. After making your mother-in-law sick. Yeah. Boy, yeah. how do you get over that? Yeah, that would, yeah, wasn't good. Wasn't good for <laughs> in-law relations. But. <laughs> Martin, what about you? What have you been reading? Well, <clears throat> we're, my wife and I are rereading Bleak House, which is a very long Dickens novel. I'm, I'm fearful of what Tanya would cut from it. Oh, I wouldn't um, cut a word, not a word. Um, but, uh, and is, which is supposedly his best. I don't, I've read it before. I, I, I think he's one of those novelists who wrote four or five novels that are among the greatest mm-hmm. things written in English. So it's hard to judge, but I just, I just, my wife just <clears throat> really loves Dickens and the characters and we listen to them. And I think that really, it, the book benefits from that when you have a really good reader who understands all the accents and, and all that. Cause I think for a lot of beginning readers and readers and Dickens, that's the problem. They it have. is the dialect <clears throat> is rough. The, are the dialects. Mm-hmm. But if you have a reader and you're listening to it, then it's, it's fabulous. Um, <clears throat> I'm also re uh, almost finished with Christianity and classical culture by Yaroslav Pelikan. And it's about, um, you know, we're, uh, some of us are pretty familiar with what's happening in the Western, Western Christendom in you know the the fourth fifth centuries we think of augustine primarily um but in the east in constantinople you have uh the cappadocian fathers uh saint basil gregory of nyssa gregory nanzianzus um and their sister macrina who was very influential um dealing with you know what do we do with this classical heritage and uh, so so yaroslav pelican that's yaroslav pelican's book's excellent um, and then um, uh, just read the other, uh, this week last weekend, The Roman Way by Edith Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, her two books, The Greek Way and The Roman Way, are among my favorites as a treatment of what was Greek culture all about and what was Roman culture all about and how were they different. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just fascinating because mm-hmm. they are different in many ways, even though the Greeks sort of inherit a lot of, um, uh, the Romans sort of inherit a lot of Greek culture, um, there are things that are uniquely Roman that they bring to the table that in, in some ways are 
kind of conflicting with the Greeks. So it's a fascinating, and she's a, an excellent writer. Yeah. Let's pivot then and let's talk about our topic uh, for today. And Martin, here's the topic. <laughs> so, so everyone else knows, but mm-hmm. I don't. Is yeah. that the situation? We just well, found we, out. We though. were in the office this morning. You know, and we come in at eight. We happened to have a conversation <laughs> about the podcast. And so we settled on something. <clears throat> um, we'll start with a prompt. And I this, mean, it's just not to participate. I mean, <laughs> so there. this prompt came actually from a listener as well. And it is this. Um, what matters more in education? The aptitude of the student or the aptitude of the teacher? Yes. Uh, yeah, obviously, education is a two-way street. You have to have teaching and you have to have learning. That's what education is. So necessarily, you have to have both. I don't think you can say which one is greater. I suppose if a student's ability to learn is less than a, a teacher's greater ability to teach helps uh, and balances that out. But I mean, I... <clears throat> I think, you know, it, the hardest thing to do in teaching is to get the student to buy in and get the student actively interested in what you're teaching. That is the hardest thing to do. And so that involves a teacher who is able to, uh, to elicit that. And, you know, my I taught for 20, some, 20, 20, 25 years. And that was, it seemed to me my chief job. I mean, I didn't know the stuff obviously, but, but I'm trying to get the student to, to respond actively. You know, I mean, Dewey was right at least in this and in that, you know, the active learning of the student is important. Uh huh. But, um, what, what? No, I think that's, I mean, I taught beside you. you. I taught beside you. Your students were so definitely. How you learned, didn't you? Oh, they were so engaged. <laughs> we both taught Latin at the same time in adjoining <laughs> classrooms. And one time, I mean, there was just such chaos coming out of Martin's classroom all the time. And one time, <laughs> a student raised their hand, and I called on him, and he said, "Mrs. Charlton, why do don't we have, get to have fun in our Latin class, like Mr. <laughs> Catherine's Latin class?" <laughs> Yeah, because because we're actually getting something done in here. Yeah, because they're coming out of your class quivering because they've just taken one of your power quizzes, which is one question. If you get it right, it's a hundred. If you get it wrong, it's a zero. So you know, <laughs> this stuff you, is life or death. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So so yes, Martin got it done, but within a lot of hysteria yeah. going on in the classroom, he definitely engaged his students. I'm not sure in what. So he was getting he was getting buy in. Is that what that was all about? Was getting that was buy-in? I think my class where I had twenty five students in the Ooh. in the one class, and every single one of them learned what they needed to learn. Just saying. <laughs> well, you had that one student too, that the one that jumped out the third floor window. That oh time. yeah, I'm not going to mention names. <laughs> yes. So he was. So player, you yeah. did have a situation. I, and he I learned didn't it too. have. Yeah. <laughs> did, can I ask if the student lived? Yes, he did. He didn't even get hurt. <laughs> do, kids do class, not do not I mean, jump out of third floor windows. Just just to be clear just to our as audience, a, as a rule, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That never happens at Islands anymore. Um, no, we don't oh, have third floor windows. There are no more third floor windows. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no third floors. Paul, same question. What matters more, the aptitude of the student or the aptitude of the teacher? It's a false dichotomy. I, it's it's the wrong. I, I mean, it, it's 
Go ahead and say it. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. <laughs> no, I was thinking about it. That um, I think it's actually a good question because it, it generates this discussion. It, it, keep going. It, that's correct for 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 other reasons other than the concept that it brings forth. Um, Augustine and his work on teaching catechumens the faith has you know different principles that he's trying to he's he's writing to a church leader who's asking like how do I how am how ought I to instruct people that want to become Christians. And he talks about education in there because you're teaching the faith and almost everything that he talks about is, is the teacher student relationship and that there's, there's clearly the teacher is the one driving it. The teacher's the one with the information that is imparting it. Um, in that, that relationship, is vital because otherwise you don't, the student doesn't buy in, right? If the, if the student doesn't respect the teacher, then they're not going to respect what the teacher's saying. Um, you know, and what I mean by respect is not just like this quivering, uh, respect, but, <laughs> but one in which terror, terror was that the word? You <laughs> <mean>? <laughs> yeah, it's not a terror. It is, it's, it's a respect. Like I, I recognize that this person has something to offer me and, and those relationships <laughs> all come differently. But, you know, it, the, the student has come and then the teacher has to work to make what they are presenting something that that student wants. And so you can have a really great teacher and have a student that refuses to buy in. And you can have a student that opposite where you have a student that's very engaged and a teacher that's that is doesn't have the talent or, you know, isn't prepared or whatever. And that student can still learn. But when both of those are firing on, on all cylinders, I mean, that's where you get some great learning. Can I ask for a definition again? Absolutely. When you say the aptitude of the student, are you talking about intellect? Because that it doesn't matter what the aptitude of the student is. We've got to teach all students. Mm. So I'm a little confused about what we're what we're comparing. Well, here. I think when you say what matters more, the question is like if, if we're looking at trying to improve what we're doing, where should we put our focus? Is it on the student or is it on the teacher? Could a, Will a highly competent student with a mediocre teacher excel <clears throat> more than a mediocre student with a highly apt teacher? Which one of those situations has a better end result? I have a known students in my life who got really terrible educations but excelled because they were uh, they were highly intelligent and they were motivated and so they managed to get an education but I think a poor teacher does a lot of damage and I don't know I mean I'm like with Paul about it, it this is a really kind of a crazy dichotomy and i don't i don't know that you could well we're yeah, not going to have an answer, answer we also need to, have, need to go back to <clears throat> aristotle's rhetoric where he basically gives you the three elements of teaching uh which are ethos your um your the trust the students have in you as a teacher uh logos your knowledge of the material and pathos your ability to elicit the interest of the student. That's right. Right. 
So, you know, you may have, and, and you can use that same breakdown to analyze the student, which is you have, you know, in terms of ethos, you have, you have students who are not the smartest students in the room, but they work hard. Yes. They do all the work. Um, on the other hand, you have students who are really intelligent. They don't have to work that hard to pick up the material. And then you have students who are in, who, who you are able as a teacher to interest in the material. Those are all, those are the three factors of teaching and learning. I think the, your point about students who have that aptitude that maybe that were able to get a good education, even though they weren't provided one, mm-hmm. um, kind of highlights the fact that when, when we're talking about learning, I mean, the end result is in the student, right? I mean, it's, it's the student acquiring that information and that's those skills. And so, you know, you can, uh, st- uh, a competent student or, or a motivated student is always going to acquire those skills and that knowledge more than a non-interested one. And so that now there's a lot of things that teachers can do to elicit that, but fundamentally it has to depend on that student. Right. And, and that, that student can get an education anywhere. Right. Um, it doesn't have to be in a classroom, right? So you have somebody who doesn't have access to that. I mean, the common example is Abraham Lincoln, right? Like you can teach yourself these things. And and so Frederick Douglass, so many people in yeah, history that not, not educated having, themselves. Yeah, not having a good teacher is doesn't mean you can't get it, but having a student that's unwilling to learn does mean that they're not gonna learn. So it's I think some people have kind of agreed with that insight, and I think that's true. Then they look at what we have talked about on this podcast and talk about a lot in other contexts on our insistence in a teacher centered classroom. If it's true that, it, that the learning happens within the student, why is our classroom centered on the teacher and not on the students? If that's where the learning is happening, because most kids don't have a default uh, attitude right. of wanting to learn. My mm-hmm. oldest son ha- was totally indifferent to school, totally indifferent, not motivated by grades. Martin taught him. He knows um, but if he had a passionate teacher, he was totally engaged and he performed for those teachers. And Martin was one of them. He performed for him because he was entertained by him. <laughs> See, that's important. He, I mean, it is. He kept his interest and he, and he made him interested in the material. Now, I think there's a difference, too, between when we talk about a poor teacher. Uh, like the first year I taught, I was not a great teacher. I made a lot of mistakes that, and I learned along the way. And so students can get by with that. We all have new teachers and we all, and think about homeschooling. The first time you teach mm. Dolayer's Greek myths right. is going to be different than the third time you teach it. And so you are going to get better, and the students do survive that, those mistakes that we make. But that, I think that's our emphasis on curriculum and on if, if you give a new teacher or a teacher that needs help a good, solid foundation in curriculum, they should be able to get the job done. And then hopefully they will get better and become master teachers. But just, I do think that's an important thing that we've got to 
talk about a little bit is you've got to equip the teachers in order for them to get the job done and get it done consistently. So if you've got four fourth grades and you have a new teacher here and a master teacher here, the students are still getting the same information, but this new teacher is working toward becoming that master. Right. Talked about, um, you, you asked me kind of in clarifying, what do we mean by aptitude of the student? You could talk about intelligence and you could also talk about maybe uh, interest. Motivation. Well, yeah. What are the other aptitudes students have? Oh, no. Paul, any other things that you could think kind of a student ought to have? And if you're a teacher kind of thinking about what you are hoping to elicit from students or what if you're a parent kind of looking at this is what my student needs to be challenged by, what other aptitudes students need to be acquiring that are maybe meta to the learning that they're actually doing? I don't know if it's an aptitude, but what keeps going through my head is wonder, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is an inquiring mind, one that, one that doesn't just, you know, because we do train the kids basically like, here's this answer to this, right? But one that, you know, a student that sits there and goes, wow, like, and just, that's actually interesting or that's actually amazing or that needs to be contemplated. <clears throat> Having that sort of attitude I th- will make them thirst to know more and go beyond maybe what the class is offering. And that's really what we're after. It does go beyond the curriculum to wonder. I mean, that is it. If we get wonder, then I think we've done our jobs. Let me try to land the plane and summarize what, how we've answered this question. It sounds like what we're saying is that the aptitude of the student matters, but a student isn't perhaps hopeless if they have a great teacher, if that teacher can draw it out of them. And in reverse, mm-hmm. a student is not hopeless if the teacher is mediocre, um, but is always going to be helped by having a more apt teacher. And so it seems like there is kind of a, it's a both and in both ways that it, you're not, it's not a hopeless situation if it's a mediocre student or a mediocre teacher, but you're always striving for is aptitude with both. Right. I still, I don't think any student is hopeless. And I found honestly, when I was teaching that the students who were not engaged or the students who weren't as smart um, where things didn't come as easily to them, they were the most fun to teach mm-hmm. because there was always that challenge mm-hmm. of what what can I do to engage these students, to make them come alongside everybody else and to help them. I think that's a great challenge for a teacher. Now, I didn't enjoy it so much with my own children. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted them to be motivated, good students because I was always motivated as a student. So, you know, that one, that was difficult. But in the classroom where I was, could be more objective, I really enjoyed those students that I had to bring along. Sure. Martin, you scribbled in your notebook. I was just He's furthering on my, my, my three elements of teaching and learning. Which oh, are, no, you which don't are, do the groceries, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are, uh, you know, you're, you're, you work hard, uh, you're smart, or you're interested. Those are the three, those are the three things. And, and I, I, I don't, I don't know. There's really a fourth. Um, some students, you know, students come to you from every different kind of direction. And if you've got a student who just won't work, that's going to be a problem. Uh, you got to push that child. Uh, a student can come to you smart, but, uh, completely uninterested in what's going on. And that's 
I, you know, I, I, it seems to me with boys, that is almost the norm. They're smart enough. They just don't want to work. They, they don't want to put anything into, into it. And uh, you got to pull them a little bit. And then you have students who are, 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 are not interested, you know, and with a, with a student who's interested, you just got to point, (laughs) pushing, pulling and pointing. I mean, um, and they will, they will do it because they are self-motivated. Yes. And those are fun students too. They're all fun students. They're all challenging in different ways. Well, Uh, it's a challenge to get the, excuse me, to get the one student who may be, is just not interested. I mean, that's the way to me it was like, okay, so my challenge this semester is get that student interested in what we're doing. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering the student who jumped out of the third floor window, particularly in in this instance. Uh, and you know, and he was a little bit of trouble because they're not interested. They're bored. They want something to happen. So they make it, they make something interesting something they'll be interested in happen. Right. Uh, and so you just, you know, you, you're, you're calling on people and, and I, I can't remember the, the name of that job. We'll call him Johnny. And then we, I'd go over asking questions. I said, Johnny, what's, what's the uh, genitive singular of some Latin word? Uh, and then I go to the next person. He thinks he's got it, got away from me. And I go, and then I ask him again. And then I ask him again in sequence. And then I'll go to a couple of, and then I'll ask him again. I mean, you just, you, you got to, you got to handle those well, students. One in a time, way. your class was there was a lot of laughter coming out of your class, and I walked in to see what was going on, and you had this child teaching the class. <laughs> I think I did. Yeah, you I said, did I said, because he yeah. was misbehaving. You, you clearly had, have no need to hear me. That you must know this material. Uh, going up there, I hand him a piece of chalk, and yep, yeah. and he was teaching the class. <laughs> <laughs> I don't advise that in every situation. Yeah, got a lot of good, a lot of good tips. I feel like for this this little bit, and right? But but as far as the teacher goes, you know, teaching's a really hard job, mm-hmm. and I think not everybody's called to it. And if you, I think it's really important. I see great teachers all the time yeah. in the places that I go, and you do too. Mm-hmm. All of all of us are have visited lots of classrooms and sometimes you see a teacher who knows that material has it down lectures really well engaging but has no idea what the class is doing or whether the class is actually engaged because they're so intent on their material and what they're teaching that it's not, they're not building a relationship with the students and they're not seeing that that student in the back row is doing their Latin homework or this student over here is building a tower with his highlighters. Or, you know, it's not that the teacher's not teaching, but it's not just teaching. It's also looking those students in the eye and recognizing what they're doing and making sure that they are involved in this community situation that you've got going here. So there are these different kinds of students. Well, and the chief reason that that doesn't happen, I think in many cases is what you're talking about. Looking a student in the eye, teaching requires confidence. I mean, I mean, real strong confidence because it takes confidence to look a student in the eye and really 
in, engage that student. Especially high school. <clears throat> Especially, and, and some, or middle school. Yeah. What about middle sure. school? <clears throat> and some teachers, particularly new teachers, just don't have that confidence. That's you got to teach a while to have confidence. That's true. And so, you well, you do. And, and I think that's a good point. Um, is the curriculum then can become a crutch because you've, you know, you've really prepped. You've done your job. You've worked all weekend to get ready to teach, and you stand up there and you're teaching, and half your class isn't paying any attention. You're doing your job, but part of your job is to actually know those students and be a, and be able to really realize this is the student that mm-hmm. I need to work with, mm-hmm. and this student it's, needs to move. It's a lot of multitasking. Yeah, it's like I, a I, dance. It's mm-hmm. it's very much you have to be keeping several things up at the same time because you got to be communicating that that information while you're looking at the kids while you've noticed this child over here has no soccer shoe on on one foot and then you know the other the other child's falling asleep and and you've got to then be walking around and taking care of those things while right. the lecture keeps going and it's it's mm-hmm. difficult it's, yeah this is which is why teaching is so utterly exhausting it is mm-hmm. exhausting I, I could not do that now i couldn't even i couldn't even do a quarter of a day now because it is so you have to be a young person to you're, teach well you're on yes. it's like you're mm-hmm. on for hours right. and hours right. literally it's like being an entertainer mm-hmm. um, it, it but it's a worthwhile work and let me tell you a story to end our time here of redemption when i was in seventh grade I had a teacher who was trying to do this, be aware of her students, one of them being me. And she asked me, Mr. Saxon, are you bored right now? Oh. And I thought it was a real question. I didn't realize it was a teaching <laughs> oh, moment. No, you she used to do illicit information. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, go to the principal's office right now. Oh, And I got no. sent to the principal's office. Yeah. Um, wow. I, but... You know what? Well, I became interested later on. So what did the principal do? Yeah, he kind of got mad at me. <laughs> Told me I needed to not be bored and to turn my attitude around. Okay. And I have been, you know, I've become interested in education. Look at me now. Look at you now. <laughs> yeah. You need to write a it letter. It wasn't because of her. Like I, I, that class was boring. And I, <laughs> Yes. But later on, I became interested. So take hope. Yeah, I, that, that's, a, that's a good point because a, a teacher can really change your life. I... I remember, and I, I don't remember any of my teacher's names, but I remember this guy's name. He was the bonehead English teacher at the University of California at Irvine my first, my freshman year. And Mr. Meenan was his name. And I remember writing a paper and <clears throat> him coming back with his comments on the paper. And, and I had done a little work on the high school newspaper and I, I never, but got a D in composition. Okay. So... Mr. Meany wrote on there, this is really good. You need to be a humanities major. Mm. I remember the, I can see it to this day. Mm. And that changed the course of mm. what I, it, it just reoriented me in terms of what I wanted to do. And, and I ended up becoming a writer. So they can be, cool. the teachers can be very influential, mm-hmm. but they can also be boring. True. <laughs> well, thank you guys for this discussion. It hasn't been boring. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. 
You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.